0: everybody, and welcome back to my podcast, Christian in Progress. My name is Samuel Perez, and just a little bit about myself. I'm a former gay stripper. Yep, that's right. You heard that correctly. <laughs> I left behind the homosexual lifestyle to walk with Christ. This podcast is all about how I do it, why I do it, and to help others like me, and educate those that aren't like me. I want to talk but I really want to talk. I want to be real about a life with Jesus and what that looks like in 2020. Nothing is off limits, and I want to be as transparent as I possibly can be. Now, before we get started, I want to let everyone know about how this podcast is free to listen, and we do accept donations, and we have some awesome rewards and gifts for those who want to become patrons of this podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Podbean, click on the description and you'll find the link to become a patron of the podcast, which means you'll be making a regular monthly commitment. And if you don't wanna make a commitment, we also have my link tree where you can find resources to give either through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash Up. On today's episode, we will be exploring the famous words from Jesus in Matthew 19 verses 11 through 12. He talks about the joys of being single and also how some people are made eunuchs by God, by men, or by decisions from themselves. So let's get right into it. I think just me personally, I have founded so much wisdom and knowledge and understanding behind Matthew 19, 11 through 12 because it gives me a perspective that is not really mentioned neither in the Old Testament and very rarely mentioned in the New Testament. It talks about what life kind of looks like when you're not married and what about the people who will never marry or just don't want to marry or just cannot have any type of feelings towards the opposite sex for something like procreation. So the first time that I actually read this verse, I was really excited because I felt like I finally fit in into some place in the Bible and I have a little bit more understanding than I did before on what Jesus thought about marriage and what he thought about those who were single. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading. I'm going to be starting from verse 11 in Matthew 19, and I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. It says, But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given in verse 12 for there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake he who is able to accept it let him accept it so i know what you guys are probably thinking right now what the heck is Jesus talking about what, what are eunuchs and what is the context behind this specific verse? So Jesus basically was talking about marriage beforehand and he was actually talking about divorce. A lot of the disciples um, during this time were ac- actually asking Jesus about divorce and if it is right to be able to divorce your wife. And Jesus says, actually, that is not right. Um, You should not want to divorce your wife. And then a lot of other people start bringing up some reasons as to why Moses allowed divorce in the first place. And then he just says, well, Moses allowed divorce because you guys had your hearts hardened. But the intent in marriage is always to stick with your wife unless it is when it comes down to um, sexual adultery or abuse so that's kind of the context and then a lot of the disciples are like well then it's better you know actually not to marry and jesus is like actually yeah it is better not to marry because you get to spend more time with me you get to have more intimacy with god so we're going to be exploring the ups and the downs of this verse and i did a lot of research (laughs) just so you guys can get a very expanded um, commentaries not just from Christianity but also from Judaism and a lot of what I found in psychology but the main thing to note here is um, the first thing that we're going to be looking at is this word um, eunuchs. This Greek word eunokos which is um, how you pronounce it in Greek um, basically means a lot of different things but one of the main things that it means is that it can be regarded as a bed guard or a bedkeeper. And the reason why this is was because back in ancient times, it was actually customary to actually remove the testicles of your servant, and they would basically be the assistants to the women's quarters or the wife of the king. And this way, there was no sexual adultery happening in between um, the servants and the king's wife, and it was just better for a woman and, I guess, for them to feel more comfortable if there was... A man as a servant around, um, not just a woman as a servant around, but a man, and also for him to have no sex drive whatsoever. So this was an operation that is actually called by um, psychology um, today as the orchidectomy, which is the surgical removal of one or both testicles. (laughs) So when you think about eunuchs, um, this is not always the case. A eunuch um, in ancient times was someone who Actually did have their um, testicles removed But Jesus actually here is using this word To kind of mean anyone who just doesn't have a sexual drive Or anyone who just wants to abstain from any sexual practices And abstain from marriage So he's not just using the word eunuchs For those who have had an orchidectomy (laughs) um, And have had their testicles removed But he's actually using this word For anyone who just does not want to marry and does not want to practice any type of sexual activity. So let's just go ahead and break this down. Here in this specific verse in 12, Jesus basically breaks it down by three different reasons as to why people might want to live a life like a eunuch so the first reason is that you are born this way so that you're born as a gift from heaven um you're born into being a eunuch or just not being um have any type of sexual capacity the second reason is that this happens to you by men which is the orchidectomy which was i was talking about which is a castration really and then the third is that you have personally made the decision to abstain from any sexual practices and also from marriage. So the first one we're going to be looking at is the born eunuch one. So Jesus says that um, in that verse that some are born from their mother's womb and they are eunuchs. So Dr. Michael Brown actually um, has a video about this and he talks a little bit about um, this these people who are born eunuchs as people who have no sexual capacity whatsoever. These here are people who are born from their mother's womb, um, basically with no sexual drive. Now, I have a commentary from Gill's Exposition of the Bible, and it says, such who had such defects in nature that they were impotent, unfit for, and unable to perform the duties of a marriage state who, as some are born without hands or feet, these were born without proper and perfect organs of generation, and by the Jews, frequently called a eunuch of the sun, as their doctors explain it, one that from his mother's womb never saw the sun but as a eunuch. This sort is sometimes called a eunuch by the hands of heaven or God. So here, basically, um, Gil is trying to tell us that sometimes when a eunuch is born from the mother's womb the jews call them a eunuch of the son and they are also sometimes called a eunuch by the hands of heaven so something that god ordained um or it was the divine will of god uh for this particular child or son woman or daughter to basically come out of the womb and have no sexual drive or just also have some type of organs that aren't in the right place and they are impotent or they just can't carry the marriage duties as someone who is healthy can. So, the way that i really like to look at this, and this is just my personal interpretation, this is just my opinion, this is not from any type of commentary, this is just what the Lord has shown me, or what I believe he is showing me through scripture, is that I believe that this part where it says that you are born out of your mother's womb as a eunuch, actually pertains to people who are from the LGBTQ lifestyle or people who are dealing with same-sex attraction. Not that we are born with same-sex attraction because science actually says that that is not possible, that when we are born, (laughs) that we actually do not have any attraction to any type of gender, that we are just kind of neutral up into kind of um, puberty. But I believe that that the devil basically takes this uh, neutrality Or this kind of way of being born kind of pure and being born just for God being born made by heavens hands you know quoted by the Jews as someone who's gonna live um, with no sexual drive and who's gonna live completely for the Lord that the devil basically takes that and then he starts to since they cannot lust after the opposite sex they start to lust after Um, a sex that they feel has um, basically been defined for them by the world. So when I was younger, I'm just going to tell you guys a little story. When I was younger, a lot of times I would say, you know, I'm just not... I'm I'm just not attracted to women. I'm just not attracted like I remember I was in middle school and I was in elementary school and there were people Who were getting um, girlfriends all the time and there were boys in class talking about girls And I was just so uncomfortable because I was like, you know what? Um, I don't feel any type of physical attraction to these girls and all the other boys in my class were feeling these physical attractions So I I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna pretend to get girlfriends and that's what I would do I would actually just, like, pick the prettiest girl that I thought, you know, was a pretty. Not any type of, you know, in a lustful way or physical attraction kind of way, but just, you know, I recognized her as being pretty. And I would basically ask her to be my girlfriend, and then I would fake that relationship. It wasn't the best thing to do, but I was scared because I was scared that people would judge me because I didn't have a girlfriend. Or that people would basically start calling me gay, so I would use that kind of like a beard And if you guys don't know that term, a beard is kind of like someone who's trying to hide their same-sex attraction Or that they are gay by getting into a relationship with a girl or someone with the opposite sex And they use that in, secular, in the secular world as a term, a beard So that's basically what I would do but i believe that in in this context a lot of the lgbtq or people who struggle with same-sex attraction it's because naturally, they actually were born eunuchs. They were actually not born to be attracted to the opposite gender. But the pressures from society and the pressures from people around them, um, and then also a little bit of, of spirituality, like um, stuff that happens in, in the spiritual world that we cannot see, actually perverts this concept of of living really just for God, of being sexually pure your whole life, And there's so many factors, and this is just my opinion, the devil kind of takes that and says, oh, you're not attracted to women? Okay, well, then you're attracted to men. And then those thoughts start to come in, and then you you start to believe them, and then you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe I am attracted to men. This is not the case for everyone. I'm trying to make this clear that this is just a a little bit of an interpretation that I received from this text just on my own But don't go around thinking (laughs) That just because someone has same-sex attraction or that someone is gay or that someone is trans It's because the devil made them that way or it's because society pressured them to be that way but I don't believe that anyone is just Born that way. If we're born anything, we are born sexually pure, we are born not interested in any type of gender. It's really, if we look at things from a psychology point of perspective, we don't actually even come into Uh, understanding our sexuality until when we are in puberty. So anywhere from, you know, late elementary classes to anywhere in middle school around that sort of age is when we really start to look at the uh, opposite sex and start to feel um, an attraction. And there's so much to that in psychology. But I do believe that this is actually a gift that I do believe that, um, not the same-sex attraction, but however, being born a eunuch. So being born, not lusting after the opposite sex is actually a gift from God, just like the Jews say, a eunuch by the hands of heaven. And so I believe that God actually ordains some people just to not be attracted to the opposite sex. Why? You, you're probably asking yourself like, why? How can that be, Sam? You're like, why? I don't understand. Like, didn't God say in Genesis that uh, we should procreate and that we should get married? And and yes, marriage is a good thing. Procreation is a beautiful thing. But I also do believe, even though this is not found in Judaism or in the Old Testament, I do believe that there is something really special about just solely dedicating yourself to God if you are born that way. If you just, you know, you just are born without a any type of opposite sex attraction. So when I read the words of Matthew and really are the words of Jesus, where it says that you are born from your mother's womb as a eunuch, I like to interpret this that these are people who either have no sexual drive whatsoever or ha- have same sex attraction because they actually never had a sexual drive for the opposite attraction uh, for the opposite um, gender but just remember that these eunuchs born out of the mother's womb have no choice they do not have a choice so a lot of people um, for example if you're a Christian you might think that people who are attracted to um, same sex are have a choice I can pretty much tell you that a lot of people do not have a choice. They do not make the conscious choice to be ridiculed by society and just to have a harder life in general. So these are eunuchs um, who have no choice and remember that sometimes the devil just loves to pervert what God actually meant for good. So, all right, now we're going to move into the by men section, which is just eunuchs that are made eunuchs by men, which is also found in verse 12. So this is like I was talking about earlier a orchidectomy which is a surgical removal of one or both testicles castration is another word for this and i was just personally wondering myself you know how did this word castration even come to be so i actually got an article from psychology today and it says the word castration has often been traced back to a medieval myth about beavers Whose Latin name is castor. Beavers were hunted to harvest a sweet smelling castoreum from scent glands near the root of the penis. So a cornered beaver would bite off its own scrotum and toss it to its pursuers to end the hunt. (laughs) So basically what this is saying is that the word castration um, came from this myth with beavers that people would essentially, they would hunt down beavers to be able to get this sweet smelling uh, gland from anywhere around the region of the beaver's penis and they would corner a beaver and the beaver would actually bite off its own scrotum, which is not true because uh, these animals actually, their scrotum is inside of their body, they're not outside of their body, but they did actually bite off this gland that was near the root of the penis and it would actually be thrown to the people. The beavers would stop being chased and the people would receive this sweet smelling castoreum. I don't know what the heck that is, but that is the origin of the word castration. And yeah, and a lot of people, for example, um, when you look at Psychology Today, this website, it says that castration after puberty, turning men into eunuch, diminishes or completely eliminates the sex drive. And this is said to actually happen pretty much for a lot of different reasons. Remember that we talked about that most of the reasons in ancient time was so that there was no sexual drive between the servant and the king's wife in their quarters. Also, there's another practice which was that this was used by men to be able to stop the voice from breaking for those boys who like to sing. So in the same article it says, that he found that the average age for voice breaking was about 18. The usual age for castration to prevent this from happening was 7 to 9 years old. Men castrated before puberty retain an unusual high-pitched singing voice, broadly comparable to that of a soprano, a mezzo-soprano, or a contralato, but covering a strikingly wide range. So, basically, boys were being castrated at 7 to 9 years old so that they would never develop a voice that was deep. So there are many uh, different reasons why a man would be castrated in ancient times. And I was also curious as to when this exactly started. And Google says that the first record of deliberate castrations to produce eunuchs was from the Sumerian city of Lagash. And that dates back to somewhere about 4,000 years ago. So this practice has actually been happening, um, or was started around 4,000 years ago in the Mesopotamia area, and then also in the some Asian areas as well. So, and I personally really wanted to know what Judaism has to say about this when I'm actually researching the Old Testament, and I found from JewishVirtualLibrary.org um this quote that says the bible directly refers to the ban on castration only by excluding castrated animals from serving as sacrifices on the altar which is leviticus 22:24 and also a descendant of Aaron who hath his stones crushed from the priestly service in leviticus 21:20 20, and a man that is crushed or maimed in his private parts from entering into the assembly of the Lord, which is in Deuteronomy 23.2, and this is from marrying within the Jewish community. So basically, Judaism does not have a good outlook on castration. It is not allowed, and it is not condoned, especially in the Old Testament by Leviticus and by Deuteronomy, and even these people who have been castrated cannot even get anywhere near the assembly of the Lord in the Old Testament, which is uh, very, very interesting. Because actually this makes a lot of sense. I don't know why God would create us with testicles and then actually want us to remove the testicles. That just makes no sense in my mind. So I do agree here with the Jewish Virtual Library. And then another quote from the Jewish Virtual Library. It says, Judaism has always forbidden all forms of castration, Alone among the nations of antiquity, the Hebrews imposed a religious prohibition on the emasculation of men and even some animals. So they were actually really prohibiting this from happening because they believed this to be a Uh, emasculation of men and of course in in jewish culture um emasculation of men is actually a very good thing but the emasculation of men was a bad thing and even in animals this was a bad thing so something as well that i actually want to bring up is this kind of like debate i well maybe not debate but this controversy around daniel because daniel was actually carried to be a servant as a high official in the king's court in babylon and we do have some ancient sources that tell us that a lot of the high officials in the king's court were actually eunuchs so there is a lot of kind of theories out there that daniel was a eunuch and that daniel um was not married or could not marry, but this is very unclear, the Bible doesn't really say, so there's that. Now, the other part of Matthew 19, verse 12, basically says that there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, Jesus is not talking about people who are castrating themselves, because remember in Judaism, this just was not a thing, and this was prohibited, so he's not referring to castration, he's not referring to an orchidectomy, but he is actually referring to people who have made the conscious decision, and who have been given the gift from God, a grace to be able to not marry, and to be able to abstain from any type of sexual practices. So the first thing that we kind of really have to look about this section in Matthew nineteen twelve is that these people are not castrating themselves, but they have been separated for God. They have separated themselves for God. And we actually do have um, some Old Testament prophets that never married or are suggested to have never married because we just don't have enough information. But a lot of people uh, believe that the prophet Elijah did not marry and that would actually make a lot of sense because if I was <laughs> if I was Elijah's wife um, and he got basically a chariot um, ride all the way up to heaven and he never came back down, I'd be like, where the heck did my husband go? So <laughs> I don't think personally that that the prophet elijah was married and his wife or family is not mentioned um, there's also the prophet jeremiah so in jeremiah 16 1-4 it says the word of the lord came to me you shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning the mothers who bore them, and the fathers who fathered them in this land, they shall die of deadly diseases, and they shall not be lamented, nor shall be they buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground, and they shall perish by the sword and by famine. And their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and for the uh, beasts of the earth. So just from this verse, we know that Jeremiah actually did not marry, but I mean, that's still up in the air because it's kind of just like a little bit ambiguous. It could have been referring to that he just didn't marry in this specific place or at this specific time. But a lot of people do believe that the prophet Jeremiah didn't marry and the prophet Elijah didn't marry um, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, for the sake, just because God actually led them to this decision. We also know that in post-biblical times, some members of the Essene sect, according to the historian Josephus, uh, rejected marriage, and the medieval Talmudic scholar Ben Azai remained celibate as well. So we have people in Judaism who after the times um, that our canonical bible was written actually were celibate and this was common because some people while they were studying the Torah actually decided just to be celibate and to dedicate all of their time to studying of the Torah and this was specifically more in Judaism now remember that this is the choice option And it is given only as a gift, it is given um, as grace from God. So if you basically do not want to marry, are not really lusting after the opposite sex, not that you can't, but are just not really that tempted, you can actually choose to be able to make yourself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And I think this is super cool because actually Paul talks a little bit about this and I do believe that we can make the choice to actually just abstain from sexual activity and abstain from marriage if God gives us this gift and this grace to just basically walk in sexual purity for the rest of our lives. And I think it's a beautiful thing and we're gonna explore that more with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. However, another question that you might have was, do we have any examples of celibacy in the New Testament? Are there any type of examples that we can look to in the New Testament To actually prove that celibacy was practiced I mean I think for me personally the words of Jesus is enough so if Jesus says that I can consciously make the decision to make myself just not want to marry and not practice any type of sexual activity or to abstain from sex that I have the the right to be able to do that I have the authority by Jesus to be able to say you know what I want to make myself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven not castration, remember, (laughs) not castration, but I just want to abstain from uh, sex. I want to abstain from marriage. I can do that, and there's a blessing and there's a gift in that only because I can spend more time devoting myself, my body, and my vision, my mission, just towards um, the kingdom of heaven, just uh, like all of my purpose, all of my life is just on the kingdom of heaven because that way, you know, sometimes in marriage, We really have to devote ourselves to our family. We have a a lot more time constraints. Uh, We have certain events that we have to go through um, for our children. So when you're not married, when you don't have kids, you are obviously a lot more free to do more things for God than if you had a family that you have to take care of. And Paul does talk about this in 1 Corinthians. But another question that I just thought of when I was researching this was, was Paul married? Did Was Paul actually celibate? And basically, I got a quote from gotquestions.org, which says, The letter to the Corinthian church by Paul gives evidence that he was not married at the time of his writing the letter. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8-9, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried. As I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Clearly, he was not married at that time. But whether he married afterward is also a matter of speculation. Also, just me, personally, remember we have to actually... Talk about whether or not um, he was married and then he became a widow because actually this verse kind of gives us He's talking about people who were used to be married who were, who are now their spouses are dead So it is possible that um, That paul was actually married, but that his spouse died And so now he's not married because his spouse is dead. So he's just a widower But it is also possible that he just never married However, in Judaism, this would be very rare. We don't really necessarily find that, um, especially if someone who, like uh, Paul, uh, basically says that he is, that he was very into Judaism. In Judaism, um, once you reach the age of 20, you're basically forced to marry. Like It is customary that you get into a marriage after the age of 20. And if Paul wanted to join the Sanhedrin, he would definitely have to be married. So it's not really clear, but I maybe, you know, it is possible that he was married and then he became a widow. Now, another question that I had while I was doing my research was, was Jesus married? You know, there's a lot of documents out there that say that Jesus was married, but I went on answers in Genesis.org and I pulled up this quote that said, some of the earliest Christian writers claim that Jesus did not marry In his response to a group that took a stand against marriage, Clement of Alexandria, which is 150 through 215 AD wrote, some openly declare that marriage is fornication and teach that it was introduced by the devil, and they boast that they are imitating the Lord himself. So although we disagree with that position, Clement quote shows an early reference to Jesus being unmarried. Tertullian in 160 through 230 AD wrote, since the last Adam that is Christ was entirely unwedded. And that is the quote from answers by the way. So we have more proof that Jesus was not married versus the proof that we have that he was married. I think there's only like a little fragment that was pulled um, from the third century AD that says that Jesus had a wife, but the proof is unconclusional. Um, It's not enough to base, you know, our decision of whether or not Jesus was married. And also remember that the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ, that there is no literal bride of Christ like woman, but that the whole entire body of Christ is the bride of Christ, that he's going to wed us, that we are going to marry Jesus. So it would just make no sense that Jesus was married and that he was married to Mary, the Magdalena, you know, the prostitute, um all of that is just irrelevant. So I do believe that Jesus did set the standard for those people who want to actually remain um without being married um and abstain from sex. That Jesus was the standard that he too Um, As a rabbi did not um, actually have any sex that he was a virgin and that he abstained from marriage as well Now of course the interpretation of Matthew 19 verse 12 comes with a little bit of problems We do have oppositions to this teaching especially in Judaism Thankfully, uh, hopefully, <laughs> I'm not a I'm not Jewish, but uh, we do have a lot of oppositions to actually abstaining from marriage in Judaism, which I pulled up from the Jewish Virtual Library. Uh, so here's a quote that says, Only if a person cleaves to the study of Torah, like Simeon B. Azai, can his refusal to marry be condoned, provided he can control his sexual lust. So basically what this is saying is that people who study the Torah Um, like this guy, Simeon, can basically refuse to marry and just control his lust or whatever and study the Torah. Another quote says that the Jewish opposition to celibacy is founded first on positive precept to be fruitful and multiply as a cardinal duty to perpetuate life, a duty which also underlies the attitude of Judaism towards birth control. Second, Celibacy is incompatible with the Jewish scheme of creation in which a man is regarded as half a human being unless he be married, and in which he who is without a wife lives without joy, without blessing, without peace. This is quoted from a commentary based on Genesis 5-2, and the quote goes on to say, third, far from regarding celibacy as a means to the attainment of holiness, Judaism views it as an an impediment to personal sanctification. This is strikingly illustrated by the rabbinic use of the term kedushin, which is sanctification for marriage, and by the instances that the high priest be married, which can be found in Leviticus 21:13, uh, especially at the time when he officiates in the Holy of Holies on the holiest day of the year. So here we are provided with three different reasons as to why a Jewish virtual library thinks that celibacy is just not uh, part of God's will. So the first reason is because God said that we should be fruitful and that we should multiply. The second reason is that it actually contradicts the scheme of creation, um, which says that we are half humans and that we only become whole when we, with our wives, because remember that Adam's rib was removed and that it was placed into his wife so that we really become whole when we become one flesh with our wives again. And then third, that celibacy is like basically an impediment for holiness, that you can't become fully holy in Judaism if you are celibate because of uh, this instant of the priests uh, being married in Leviticus 21:13, And when they officiate this holy of holy day of the year, they need to be married, which is based on Leviticus 16:6, 6, 11, and 17, which is just a little quote from um, Aaron, which is just like Aaron has to make this sacrifice for him and his household. So there's just a lot of opposition to this teaching of being celibate and we also have you know the teachings from the Catholic Church which are just crazy which they require every single priest to be celibate and that's not at all what Matthew 19:12 is trying to say what Matthew 19:12 is trying to say is that if you can be celibate and that is a gift that is given to you by God. It's a good thing, but I don't think it makes you any more holy than anyone who is married to another person. I think Jesus just said, if you have, if you have the will to not want to marry and you want to spend more time doing things for God, um, then do that. And that's why he basically says in 19, all cannot accept the saying, but only to those who. It has been given to so not everyone will accept this only some people will accept this and that is okay in the eyes of Jesus Now I have personally experienced in Christian churches uh, This kind of like idea that everyone needs to be married that when you become married It's kind of like the Judaism idea that you become holy because now you have a wife and now you can actually be a pastor or you have more authority because you're married or you understand life better because you're married and i don't think that's necessarily the case either so if you ever go to a christian church and they're just like you have to marry like you cannot be celibate you know obviously just bring them to matthew 19 uh, 12 where jesus says you know if you don't have to marry if you don't want to marry um if you have the, the grace by god to not marry you know but just remember that this is the exception not the standard. This is a gift given by God, and he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. A gift needs to be accepted, and understood as a gift so this is not the standard this does not mean just like you know how the catholic church has kind of perverted this idea this does not mean that everyone needs to be celibate no it is just the exception that some people will just be celibate that some people will never marry that some people will just never have sex that they will die virgins and it doesn't make them any more holy like i was saying there is another quote by the life application study bible which is the one that i use for my NLT uh, translation, and it says, a eunuch is an emasculated male, a man with no testicles. Jesus' point here is that some people have physical limitations that prevent their marrying while others choose not to marry because in their particular situation, they can serve God better as single people. Jesus was not teaching us to avoid marriage because it is an inconvenience or takes away our freedom, that would be selfish. A good reason to remain single is to use the time and freedom to serve God. And Paul elaborates on this in First Corinthians 7. And that was the quote. So let's just go ahead and explore some of First Corinthians 7. It says in verse 25, A betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who will marry have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean. Brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none and those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it for the present form of this world is passing so we're just gonna stop right here before we get into verse 32 Paul is basically saying that if you are a virgin or if you have never been married that he wants to actually uh, spare people from marriage because they can actually do more for the spiritual world they can do more for the kingdom of heaven but he's saying that if you do marry that it's not a sin and that it's not a bad thing but that we do have to live even if we are married or we are not married Looking to the things of the things that are important to the kingdom of heaven, things that are important to God, not the things that are important to the world and what we think is important to us by the world. So verse 32 says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul in this section is basically saying that if you get married, that it gets really difficult, that it becomes increasingly difficult, that you have a lot more anxieties about this world and your attention actually becomes divided in between God and in between your family and how to provide for them and that stuff. And he's not saying that he wants to actually bond anyone to this idea of not becoming married but he wants to promote a good order he wants to be able to let people know that their undivided attention should be going to god first in verse 36 it says if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed if his passions are strong and it has to be let him do as he wishes let them marry it is no sin But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as a virgin, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So that's the end of that scripture. But Paul is basically saying that if you decide to marry, you know, it is going to be a little bit more difficult because of all the problems that come in marriage. But also that people who don't marry are going to be fine as well. So I'm going to end this podcast with a commentary from Myers uh, in the New Testament. And it says, For the sake of the Messiah's kingdom, some have made themselves such so far as their moral dispositions are concerned, i.e., the people who have suppressed all sexual desires as effectively as though they were actual eunuchs, in order that they might devote themselves entirely to the messianic kingdom as their highest interest and aim to labor in and promoting it. So this is kind of like a mini study of Matthew 19 verses 11 through 12. I hope you enjoyed kind of my interpretation and all of this information that I kind of just threw at you guys. You can go on Google and search of these different uh, commentaries that I mentioned and these websites that I mentioned and kind of make up your own mind about what you think about this. But uh, just like I was saying, I do believe that, you know, some people when it comes to same-sex attraction that it was actually meant to be a good thing. It was God trying to establish them to be sexually pure and to abstain from marriage as people who are just naturally born eunuchs, you know? And then there are people who are made eunuchs by men who are castrated and they can be accepted by God as well to be able to live an awesome holy life with the Lord. And then there are people who just make that decision, who just say, you know what? I'm not really into sex. I'm not really into marriage. And my highest priority is kingdom life. My highest priority is the messianic kingdom that is to come. So guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I love you all so much. Thank you for listening to me talk about this. And I hope that you have received it with good intentions. Now I'm gonna go and I'm gonna let you guys go. Have a good day everybody, peace out, bye.